Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsimon. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. So a lot of you know that we have a minister of writing happiness, Mary. She calls up our members. She gives them pep talks. She hears about what they need help with, and she helps them out. So last week, Julie and I took Mary's list and called a bunch of writers. It was really fun. They're so nice. And then we thought, hey, let's do this on purpose. And yeah, we we had no idea what hap- would happen when we put this out there. And we had such an amazing response full of, you know, the most interesting questions about publishing. And some of the questions we've never even addressed before. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to dig into this, this particular podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We cover everything from, is there an age cap on writing? Uh, and what do you do if your book is between genres? We, we talked about unreliable narrators. We talked about how to pitch your book in a way that is quick and quippy. We talk about so many things that so many writers think about. Um, We talked about what to do if you didn't go through an English program. What do you do if you got a degree in something totally different? And what is that magic je ne sais quoi that new writers have in common? That was a a secret sauce. Is there not a secret sauce? Is it harder to make than a bechamel? Who knows? So what we want, we hope for this podcast is that you just settle in, you feel like, grab a cup of tea, feel like you're sitting at a writer's conference and just having conversations about work. Yeah. These are writers who are going through things just like you. And we purposely chose people who are going through things. A lot of you are too. Thank you so much to everyone who opted in and we hope we get to talk with you soon. Without further ado. Hi, my name is Arlen Llewellyn. I'm talking to you today from Bloomington, Indiana, and I wrote a book called The Book Club Murders. Yay! Yes. I'm so happy you're here. I saw that you used to own a brewery restaurant. That is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Eight For eight years, we just uh, sold it last year. Um, which Congrats- is like, Thank you. That's so fun. And we were we were talking just before you came on how we, when we looked at your query, we were like, oh, oh we like it. That sounds so much oh. fun. So oh, tell us, you. yeah, tell us where you are in the process. Are you querying? Are you getting ready to query? Where are you? Um, I'm about to query. This is my third manuscript and each one has taught me a lot. I think that I'm very aware of the fact that, you know, I think there's a stage where you you don't know how much you don't know. And then Mm -hmm. you start to realize that, wow, there's literally an entire like it's like getting below the surface of the of the ocean and realizing how much is down there. There is so there's so much depth here. And I am very aware of the fact that I've only, I only know what I know. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine and I likened it to, like when you start writing, nobody says, you're like, it's like you're walking into a big cocktail party and there's no official greeter who says like, oh my gosh, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Over there are the snacks. Those, the, that group there, they're super <laughs> friendly. Go talk to them. There is, you know, these resources on that table over there if you want to orient yourself on a few things. So instead, you just have to like wander through this party and just like mm-hmm. have these conversations with people and eventually start to get a little bit of a sense of what all is in the room. And then as you meet people, you can share with them what you know and they can share with you what you know. But it's, I don't know. So I essentially, I've been in the room for like a, a long enough to realize how big the room is. And I really hope that um, I have enough to be able to get this manuscript 
where it needs to be to be able to get an agent. But I also accept that everything I write is will be continuing to improve. That's so interesting you say that because I am that person to the point of annoyance where I'm like, hi, have you met Arlen? Arlen has a brewery restaurant. You also worked at a brewery <laughs> restaurant. You also both like this kind of beer. Go talk. Go be friends. So I know what you mean, though. I wish there was sort of a guide that would be like, here is the blueprint for the room. And here's how you don't hurt yourself. And here are the people you don't want to talk to. You, you you guys are offering that exact blueprint. You just have to be in the room for long enough to know that the Manuscript Academy exists. Oh, my God. Which I certainly didn't, you know, so. I uh, love that like so we're much. Like a magic thing in an enchanted forest. And well, like I one was... day you just stumble on this like glow and you're like, what is this in the middle of the forest? <laughs> well, I but was everyone thinking. found it's pretty cool. Yeah, I was thinking like what you just said, like way back, I used to put on live conferences, but the first writing conference I ever went to, no one spoke to me. Like I oh. sat there by myself and no one spoke to me. And I was like, I'm so social. And I'd be like smiling and I got nothing. And the second time I went to that conference, I brought a bunch of food and snacks and drinks. And I was like someone at party like, hey, room 212. So it's like early, you know, like the early manifest manifestation of the Manuscript Academy is simply like, hi, hi, we're just going to be here. We're just going to keep talking about publishing and we're going to help you in your journey and we're tr trying to make it a happy place. And I love, I love how you said that you, you don't really know what you don't know and how interesting yeah. that is. And that once you have all this under, you know, your, you know, your skin, the process is just that much easier. So could you talk a little bit about what is going on with the Twitter pitch contest and your question there? Yes. Although I like, I really need this like big disclaimer that I just, um, I really made a mistake. Like I, um, I first heard about the Twitter pitch contest, which was a couple of weeks ago, the Insecure Writer Support Group pitch contest. And I've been on Twitter for the last year or so. And this was the first time where I was aware of a contest beforehand that I qualified for and that um, I had a project that I could pitch. And uh, the voice of reason in my head said, you're not ready to query this tomorrow. You shouldn't do this. And I was listening to that for a while. And then I was actually listening to a Manuscript Academy episode. And I unfortunately can't remember her name, but the author was talking about what a game changer a pitch contest was for her. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, you, you, you shoot your shot when you can. And I was like, maybe I should just do it as a chance to connect with other people because I've really struggled to understand how to make Twitter work for me in terms of finding a support group. And so I did it. Um, and amazingly ended up getting two agent likes, which is incredible. But I also felt like really underscored that my first instinct was correct, which is that what would happen if an agent liked it and I didn't have a manuscript ready to query. So I wrote it. Um, so I'm now several weeks, two to three weeks behind. Um, like I know there were people on Twitter talking about having sent off a query like two seconds after the, the agent liked it. And um, I just don't know how long I can wait before I send a follow-up query. I just want to make sure that the manuscript is ready before I send the query. So, okay. As an agent, every so often, there is something where I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to read this right now. And I will like actually nudge the author if, if it doesn't <laughs> come in. But that is not me as an agent. That is me as a reader. And you mm -hmm. want both, of course. You want someone who loves it as a reader. I love emailing my clients. I got to text one of them like, Amy, this is so good this last week. I love doing that. But um, you can always send a nice note that's like, hi, agent. Thank you so much for your interest. I just received some really great notes and I'm going to implement them so you get the, to see the best version of my work. I expect to have it to you around this date. Again, thanks so much for your interest. Oh. And I can, I, and what agent's going to be like, 
They like revision and they're taking notes. I hate that. And I'm looking at your, you know, all your comms. I'm looking at everything here. And, I, and if I was an agent, I would have given it a heart too. It's, you yeah. know, so at this point, the only thing you need to do is get the best manuscript possible. And just to clarify, do you think I should send it via whatever the instructions are for them to receive queries or like as a Twitter DM? And do I include oh, any of the query in it? Okay. Any, like get off Twitter as soon as you can. Um, okay. Get to their email. And <laughs> okay. always use the same email address. So, so whenever I get something that looks interesting, I'll take their email email address, I'll paste it into my email and I'll search and I'll see what else they've sent to me. And if I see that and I see a nice note that's like, oh, they were professional enough to check in. Oh, I liked their previous project. Oh, I said, send me the next one. Keep that same email address so they can keep mm -hmm. track of you, know who you are. And it's kind of like when you see someone, you're like, hi, nice to see you again. I met you at this thing and we talked about that. It's a lot easier than like, hi, remember me? Um, mm, so, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Thank you so much. Can you read us the first paragraph of your pitch? The Bad Axe Book Club is for women who like to drink wine, gossip about other members, and sometimes talk about books. But the group is gradually getting smaller because its members also have something else in common. They're dying one by one. I hope you'll connect with my story about a book club, a book club whose members are slowly being killed off, that is. Complete at 80,000 words, the book club murders is Big Little Lies meets And Then There Were None. Told through three POVs, one of whom is unreliable, this thriller will appeal to fans of One by One by Ruth Ware, The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins, and The Neighbor's Secret by L. Allison Heller. It sounds so fun. Your comps are really good. If you're worried about your comps, like that just absolutely works for me. I'm seeing like a very classy miniseries, high production Oh, value thank you. Yeah, thank TV. you so much. Thank you. And, and thank would, you. Oh, go ahead, please. No, and I was like, you had the idea, like you're at 80,000 words, and that yeah, is like good. perfect for debut. You are very succinct, succinct in how you are pulling us into your story. That's great. I see you had a question about the unreliable narrator. I think that's I totally like okay that. to put that here because like you're not, the reader, you might not want to tell them that you have an unreliable narrator, but for the agent who's going to be in mm -hmm. the team with you, absolutely let them know. And, you know, you very like easily let us know the structure of the book with those three point of views. Yeah. And I love the mention of the unreliable. I mean, I personally love unreliable narrators I I have for a long time, but I guess it is possible someone wouldn't like one. And then if you were to cross every T and dot every I, you would do a Twitter advanced search from that agent, <laughs> unreliable narrator. Do they hate unreliable narrators? Okay, mm -hmm. don't mention it. Otherwise, I think it's really interesting because you're so clear in what's happening. And I think the best queries are a perfect ratio. And I don't you know numerically what it is, but I someday <laughs> I will figure it out. A perfect ratio of questions asked to questions answered. And you've answered so many questions about how this is going to work that I think raising the question of someone's going to be unreliable and we don't know what that is adds tension, makes it seem a little bit more sophisticated, makes it seem a little bit more multilayered, and somehow makes it different from all of the other books in the genre because we can kind of project onto it and fill in the blank of what they're being unreliable about. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Oh my goodness. Well, okay. All right. That was officially our timer. We're going to probably run to the next person, but it was so lovely to talk with you. I'm really hopeful for you. And yeah, yeah, keep for us posted. Keep us posted on your, on your success. Like we'd love to. Yeah, I'm like, very optimistic for you. Yeah. We'd love oh, to that means so that. much to me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Bye. Have a good rest of your day. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right. Well, my name is Najla Mamu, uh, born and raised in Flint, Michigan. I'm working on an exciting project currently titled The Road to Dust and Bones. I discovered this project with my total obsession with Bonnie and Clyde, who are infamous couple 
who really started on a mission to help uh, their families. And the more and more that they did, the more and more they found neighbors and others that really fell on hard times during the Great Depression. And they really had a vendetta against the banks and those that were taking away their family farms and, and neighbors' farms, etc. And, you know, a little criminal activity uh, led to some infamy with uh, people really joining them, calling them sort of those modern-day Robin Hoods. And they really, you know, just kept up in the ante a little bit about uh, what they did and how they did it. But one thing that's not known, that's never ever talked about, is Billie Jean Parker, who is Bonnie's sister. And um, while Bonnie only had a very small stint uh, in, in jail, uh, never went to prison, just a really small shorter, I think it was 12 or 10 or 12 weeks, I think, if the research is right. But actually, Billie Jean, her sister, who was at her side during one, when she was getting sort of a really bad injury where her leg was charred to the bone. Nice. Um, she was a... Uh, it was a getaway that uh, went went bad when uh, Clyde missed seeing a sign for a closed bridge. Uh, the car spun, went on fire, burned her, and Clyde went back and said, we need someone to help. Bonnie couldn't just get a nurse or doctor to help because she was a wanted woman. So Billie Jean joins the gang to nurse her sister. And then along the way, she realizes that she wants to protect her sister even more. She vows an oath of silence with her sister and with the gang. And then with that, they do stumble upon uh, two police officers that spot them and chase them. And what we don't know, what we do know is that the police, the two policemen were murdered. We don't know who pulled the trigger. That mm. has not been dotted back to uh, history. But we do know that Billie Jean was the one that took the fall. And was sentenced to you know a decade plus in prison while Bonnie escaped with Clyde. She never said anything. She's never, and that's why her name is so unknown and unfamiliar. She took a lot to her grave, which she only passed away recently. She lived a very quiet life after that. And some things happens. I don't want to reveal the whole story to everyone, but uh, this story is a story of sisterhood and how far ah. go what she will sacrifice to protect her sister. And I love life. it. it you know, it's really fun. I know. It's as, really poignant. I've already learned new things about them. You know, yeah. like as you were talking, I was like, yeah, they sound like great people. Pick the bank staff. <laughs> I know, right? You, you don't get drawn into this. You um, know, because it's all point of view, right? I think yeah. this goes so lovely into some of the questions that you had for us. So I feel like there is a bit of, uh, I'll say, je ne sais quoi in new writers, new authors. Mm -hmm. I know there's many of us, including myself, breaking in. I think, you know, sort of the pandemic and sort of we're seeing more and more. I mean, every we look at Goodreads, we look at all these uh, awards coming and these breakthrough new authors and writers, especially the last, I think, 18 months. I mean, it's just wonderful to see so many coming out. For those that are not traditionally sort of schooled or brought up through a degreed writing program or literature program, um, sort of how do they, how do they, you know, kind of break the rules a little bit, move into that space? And also, you know, what are some of those common elements that really bring together a breakthrough writer to kind of go from I'm going, going, going to which, which is what we're seeing, right? We're seeing these lovely, <laughs> yeah. lovely, lovely opportunities just, just blow up for so many wonderful people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for those of us that have dove in, you know, when, uh, you know, in the, in the last few years or so and changing gears or thinking we can or believing in ourselves or maybe believing we're imposters, but trying this, really, what is, uh, <laughs> what is your advice on those that we're not? First of up all, everyone in publishing, everyone, syndrome. I know I was going to say, I, I was going to say the same thing, including all of us. <laughs> Senior editors, including agents with enormous deals, including people who had their own companies. So many people have imposter syndrome. So they're not going around like, I, 
I mean, if there was a very honest, let's all hang out in the imposter syndrome party, it would be very full. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> and we, we chose questions like this because we want people who are going through something that a lot of people out there are going through. So first of all, if you have imposter syndrome, great. It means you're paying attention, you're present, you're feeling things, you're not disconnected from all of your thoughts. You know, I think it's actually a positive sign. Yeah. And um, I think that, uncert- that uncertainty doesn't change no matter, like sending out a query is brave. You know, like getting an agent, but then going to submission is brave. You know, like having people read your book is brave. And like having a book that's successful, you still have to write another book that, you know, that doesn't go away. The good news and the bad news. Okay, so you do, you absolutely do not need an MFA. Mm -hmm. You absolutely do not need to go through a traditional writing program. You don't need to be an English major. You don't need to go to college. The good and the bad news is that you can learn what you can about publishing online. The bad news is that people expect you to. So, of course, there's a lot of time that that requires. And that's really tough. So we're trying to make it faster, easier, more friendly. But I don't want you to worry that you are behind because of this, Mm. because even MFA programs, even really good MFA programs refuse to talk about pitching to agents and editors. They're like, oh, that's the business part of it. You're here for the art. And, you know, I don't understand quite why that works, um, but that is a thing. So just if that makes you feel better about not going to one of those programs in terms of actually pitching your work, you're in the same place. But yeah, don't worry about that. I have a lot of clients who are in STEM for whatever reason, and I like to tailor how I communicate writing to the person. And so some people, if they're in STEM, I can be like, okay, cut 10% of this, add Mm -hmm. 15% of that. Like, I think agents just kind of naturally, whether they realize it or not, change how they describe these things depending on what field everyone is in. And I would say like probably most writers that we've got have jobs in something that is not English related. <laughs> so don't don't feel bad about that, please. Yeah. You asked about what magical quality and oh. debut authors. Honestly, and I realize this is going to sound like a like a, a silly answer. I think it's energy. I think it's just when we talk with you, we can feel how excited you are about your work. We can feel that, you know how sometimes you just meet someone and you like them immediately and you don't know why. And later you find out all of these things you had in common. Like, you know, that weird thing that happens when you suddenly like really like someone and then you realize that your parents were very similar. And that for whatever reason makes you be like, oh, that's why I feel like you get me. I think we're communicating on these levels all the time and our brains are doing all these calculations. Like, you know, AI has all those little like, you know, facial recognition, all that. Like, we're probably taking in all these data points, too. We're just, you know, not a computer and not chat GPT. But I think we are like communicating on all these different levels. And I think that that can come across in your writing, too. We don't know why, but we just have a feeling about your energy, Mm -hmm. kind of the way enthusiasm is contagious. But yeah, I think it's a really good idea to write your pitch when you are feeling absolutely great about your book. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. maybe right after a friend like really understands and loves your project and you Mm -hmm. feel really seen, that is a great time to write your pitch. You know, and I do think like the way you talked about your book, I was, yeah. and and if your query letter is like that, I was right there. Like, and I think Mm -hmm. that the fact that you're even thinking about what can I do, you know, in this business, you know, what, what is that thing? Like it, it, it's hard to explain sometimes, but like when I reread queries for the panel, sometimes the personalities do line up. You know, mm-hmm. and and you feel like you feel like a warmth coming off a query, a warmth coming off of a first page, and and that like even if you're writing about murderers, there can be yes, you know, yeah. but, but there's like there's like this piece of there's piece of you in your book, like you can't help but leave it there, and that's that's the I don't know, right? The genesequa, it's the element that makes your heart move into this project, and that's where it is. 
Um, yeah, you, bring, yeah. you do bring up a good point because I think for someone like myself who's not traditionally schooled, like I did try to learn everything online and, you know, do not use passive voice, do not use should, do not use could, do not use realize, do not. So my first draft, I went through and I X'd all of that because of the thou shall not, right? And so mm -hmm. I made it, you know, do not start a scene with dialogue, do not, you know, all the don'ts, right. right, that we learn along the way through all the conferences and the, and the programs and things like that. And then I lost my voice because it looked, it felt like yeah. a nonfiction. And so then I was like, wait a second, this is almost a nonfiction of someone's life, but I'm a fiction writer. Right. And so to your point, I had to bring back all the things that I had brought into it, which were, I have been poor. I have, you know, lived in a trailer park. I I know the poverty level. I know what it's like to, you know, have to make sacrifices of what you buy and and I had thought, I can be vulnerable. I can bring mm -hmm. all that. So I think my excitement comes from the fact that I, I've made sure my voice is heard. Like mm -hmm. I've, I've made sure that I understand these yes. people, both historically, but also I can relate to them. So, you know, to your point, you know, I think that gives me more confidence because it, it is saying like your voice is real, your voice mm -hmm. is recognized, your voice uh, does come out when you are raw right. and vulnerable. Um, and you sort of have to get away from thou shall not and traditional schooling makes you this way, but it's a really, maybe there is an opening for the rest of us or some of us. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I almost, oh, go ahead. Well, I'm going to see I, I, what you're saying is write what you know, like taking mm -hmm. something that's very provocative, then write what you know within that, I think makes the difference mm -hmm. in a lot of people's writing. I actually think that if you try to adhere to a hundred percent of the rules, that's when you get yourself in trouble. I think it's kind of more of a like, consider if you need passive voice here, consider Consider if you want to start with dialogue here. They're just mm -hmm. trying to give something that is helpful mm -hmm. to the most people and the very average, but nobody's writing is really going to be average on every metric. And, you know, and I think you have so much to offer and I just can't wait to see where everything goes. So as always, keep us posted and, yeah, you know, you. we want to, we want to hear about all your successes. So I'm Erin Brown. Um, I'm from Philadelphia, and I am currently querying a upper YA rom-com that is about an American study abroad student who gets roped into fake dating her classmate that she hates, um, who is an up-and-coming musician to help his image. Oh, that's a lot of fun Ooh. tropes right there. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, how can we help? Yeah, so I think the thing that's making me feel like the most crazy with the querying process is that so much of the information out there, like when you look at blog posts or forums or things like that, so much of it doesn't really apply anymore, like post-pandemic and also like this shift from the pandemic into, you know, Whatever the world we're in now. We're in now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just with the way that publishing has changed like a lot of those metrics that I feel like you used to be able to kind of count on of like benchmarks of how successful I guess your querying is just don't apply anymore. So I've been really struggling trying to figure out like I am getting requests but are my pages working? I've gotten three requests so far and two have been query only submissions and one has been query and pages. Um, but yeah, I think just like navigating this new landscape has been really difficult and it feels like there's just not a lot of information out there anymore. Well, I think the general rule is everything's taking longer, even longer than before. So whatever they said was normal turnaround time before, I'd say add 30%, at least maybe 50. And, you know, think of it as you're going to get fewer responses in general, probably just because everyone is so overwhelmed. So everyone's going to get a lot of closed no responses, unfortunately. Um, but I think you should look at 
in general when you do get a response what it is. So even if, you know, obviously you're hoping for the most responses and the most personalized responses and requests, but I think if we um, look at it in terms of when you do get a response, what is it? That can be a little bit more helpful too. So I mean, but I'm looking at your, your question here. You've only sent out 24 queries, yes. correct? So did you send them out in batches? Did you send them out all at once? Tell us how you organized those 24 queries and how you put that submission together. Yeah, so I did them kind of in batches, at least to start. Um, my first batch was, I think, six or seven. And I did get a few quick rejections um, in that batch. And I did decide at that point to kind of get more eyes on my query um, and my opening pages. And then after I revamped that, I sent out another batch of seven. Mm -hmm. um, and then once I started getting in that second batch, I got a personalized rejection. Okay. Um, and then with that, I sent out a few more. And that's when I started getting some requests. Okay. So the batching kind of went away after that because it would be once I got a response, I'd send out a few more. Great. Um, yeah. so that sounds like you're doing it. Per I mean, that that sounds like a perfect way to approach this. We hear at the Manuscript Academy, well, I sent out like 100 or I sent out 300 and we're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, don't do that. But the fact you're getting requests is it means that you're like on the ride, like you're you're moving along. If with those requests you are not, you know, you're still just not getting an offer, there could be some pacing problems. There could be, you know, some things in the middle, um, you know, of your manuscript. So that is kind of the next step. It's really like looking at it, at it to see where you might need to pivot, where you might need to tighten. You might have to look at your character arc. There's all kinds of things. And that if you just fix those things, it can be the difference between the, you know, the taking you on or not. Jessica, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't think that you need to worry yet. It's not been very long. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that there is a lot of like conflicting advice there too, but I think what they're trying to do is it, there are benefits and drawbacks to everything, right? And some people have just decided these benefits are more important than these drawbacks. And so they choose a method and tell everyone that that's what they should do. I think it gives people a false sense of control, honestly. You know, like we suggest ways to do it for clarity or like to make sure that your story really shines, but you know, it's just suggestions and they're all opinions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes a lot of sense. Right. Can you tell us about your very impressive bylines? Because that leapt out to me that you've been mm. published in so many cool places. Like, how did that happen? Oh, and how yeah, can writers uh, out there make that happen, too? As if there was one right way again. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't write full time, um, but I do freelance a lot on the side. I write mostly about music, but I do write about TV um, and other pop culture. That really started, I think, when I was in high school and was on the newspaper staff um, and just wanting to write about music. So trying to figure out how I could interview bands and things like that. And then I have a journalism degree um, and in college is where I really started like actually pitching publications and things like that. And it definitely took a while to start getting um, acceptances. My biggest advice, and also when I talk to my friends who are also querying, is just pitching and getting used to it and getting used to that rejection. I think that has really helped with my query journey, um, just knowing the process and expecting no's and knowing that it's not about me. It's mostly timing. But yeah, a lot of outlets take freelance submissions 
And there's usually a masthead that you can find and find out which editor covers the subject. And it's honestly not that much different than querying when you're pitching um, an article to like Vulture that I've written for. Um, you want to tell them your idea, why you are the best person to write it and why you think that outlet is the best place for it. And different from querying, they don't places typically don't want things that you've already written because they want you to write it specifically for them um, with their voice in mind. But really those focusing on your pitch and making it really concise and hooky like you would in a query and why you are the only person who could write this story for them um, and why they are the only place that should publish it is really key. But yeah, if it's something that people want to pursue, I totally encourage it. How do you talk about how you are the best person to write a piece, especially if it's fiction? Yeah. Um, fiction is inherently more personal, but picking out those aspects of your story that only you could bring to it. So with the book that I'm querying, fake dating is not new. Studying abroad is not new. But it's set where I studied abroad, um, which is a university in the middle of England that I had never heard of before I even applied. And so I know that place so well. And I know what it's like to study abroad there. Mm -hmm. And I know what the students are like and the kind of experiences I had there. And so that's something that I highlight in my query is that the book is set where I studied abroad. And that's what makes me qualified on a personal level to be the person to write this specific book. And I also write about music. And that is another thing that I bring to it that another person with the same kind of, you know, elevator pitch for their story might not have and what makes their story completely different from mine. I do love it when writers um, have a lot of research, but it's also just especially nice when they have lived the experience because I feel like that will give it just some more richness to how they describe everything. And we know that they're getting it right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was I had noticed prior to you talking about that, how great your bio was for your book. And I, I thought that you did it so concisely and beautifully. And I also liked how you added your, your day job there, which is marketing. And and that just shows that you have the ability to be not only a writer, but also someone that can market your book. And I thought, like, if you have something that that fits for this world, like, put it in, you know, and some people don't like, hi, I wrote a medical thriller. And then they're a physician, but they didn't write that they were, you know. So I thought that right. you did really well with that. Um, those were things that I didn't have originally that after I added them in, felt like they really made sense. Could you give us a list of the things you got conflicting advice about? Yes. Request rate was a big one. That hearing a lot of like 20% in your first batch, but then also now getting information that 10% is more likely um, nowadays. Some more conflicting information is batch sizes. I've seen a lot of information out there saying you should send, you know, between five and 10. Some are 10 and 15. I've even seen a lot of people saying like, don't do batches at all. Just send them all at once. And that was something that I knew I didn't want to do. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's I didn't a bold move. really. I think timing of when you should kind of revisit your query package. There's a lot of discrepancies out there. You know, if you I've seen if you get a single rejection, you need to look and no, <laughs> like check and see. Oh my goodness. Um, 
Maybe they're just having a bad day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe they have something similar on their list or maybe that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something that really helped me with that was reading lots of agent blogs and websites and seeing what they're not looking for and what might trigger those rejections, that was really helpful. Thank you. I know there are so many people out there who are just like, I don't get it. Everyone wants something different. This is not fair. What do I do? (laughs) So um, thank you for, you know, showing us that that is, yes, the information that you're getting, but you can get through it and be okay. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Bye now. Thanks. You too. Bye. I'm Vanessa McLaren Ray. I'm in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm writing uh, fantasy and science fiction. Yay, thank Mm. you. You had a question that really leapt out to us because it's something that we get a lot. Well, one thing I've been wondering is uh, whether there is an implicit age cutoff, as you put it, for uh, agents to want to take on, on new authors. Uh, when you look at social media uh, postings, it feels like there's there is a line because uh, it's generally younger people, uh, generally rather good looking people. <laughs> but then, of course, social media cants towards younger people and people who are better looking <laughs> are more likely to put their pictures up on social media. So there's a there's a there's a bias in the system that's reporting. But, you know. Uh, our our society also has has a bias towards youth and age, and and one might imagine that some agents might find, for practical reasons, they'd rather start with somebody who's uh, earlier in their lifespan, if not necessarily their career, because plenty of people start writing in middle ages, and of course our lifespans are pretty long nowadays. So mm-hmm. I've got a couple of good decades left in me. So. <laughs> Um, I know what you mean about social media. I personally hate Instagram. To me, it feels like everyone's so pretty, so successful, working so hard to get perfect pictures. And it just, I don't know, I feel like Instagram figures out what you're insecure about and then shows it to you over and over and over again. Um, you know, I find, and I'm not, I'm not going to say, you know, like, put, how do I say this? I don't, I don't want to sound like, like a younger person can't write a really great piece because they can. But I actually think that being a little bit older benefits you because you can sometimes have the nuance of the age and experience that is kind of layered within the text. So I think that there is, I mean, you have some great younger writers and they're amazing, but I think that there's some some benefits of age when it comes to writing. Um, so it's just something to think about there. I think there's lots of writers that are getting picked up in their 50s and their 60s and they're doing really well. Also, yeah, I, um, I, I feel that from my own experience as a writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look back on things that I was writing when I was in my 20s and 30s and raising children and too busy to be hunting agents. And the kinds of insights I can develop in characters now are just so greatly improved by the life experience that life forced me to have. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of value in in our, I don't know, senior isn't the right word because we mean specific things by seniors in our society. But, you know, pe- people who are ever so much older than 20, shall we say. Yeah. I mean, but there are, I do think there's some things that um, an older writer can do, especially in the middle grade and YA um, sphere that helps. Um, one, if you don't have access to a lot of kids or grandchildren, um, that you are actively spending time with them, whether that means volunteering in a youth center or, or other 
or a writing center. And, and I think if you're not doing that or you're not looking at like current trends and names and and how they speak to each other, that that can trip you up age-wise. I think it matters a lot more for those younger genres. I would say that it would mm-hmm. matter the most for YA than probably middle grade. But especially if you're writing for adults, um, I think everyone can acknowledge that the more time you spend on the planet, the better able you mm-hmm. are to put together the little data points you have of how people work. And since you can understand how people work in real life, you can build more nuanced characters. And I think that's really interesting too. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we've we've let our listeners um, have too much of a, um, a cliffhanger here. I like to say that this is not Olympic gymnastics. All you really <laughs> need to do, you don't need, you don't need to do all the things that you can only do when you're 18. Um, all you need to do is use a word processing software, use email and use Zoom, and that'll get you everywhere. Um, you know, yes, it'd be nice if you can use some of the more advanced technologies for your online book events. Um, yes, it's nice if you can speak well and go, you know, travel around a little bit, but traveling in person is less necessary these days. But there is not an upper age limit at all. It's, is the writing good? Is this someone who can do the bare minimum to communicate with me as an agent? Okay, great, let's go. We have, at the Manuscript Academy, we sometimes see just really uh, people that have had so much success in their lives, uh, just massive, massive, just good at everything. And then they hit publishing. <laughs> and it's a wall. And we're all like, blah. <laughs> yes. right. And so the wall's there. We're all banging our head against the wall. And, but I've been successful at everything else, right? And when sometimes you're successful at everything, you don't pivot as well. And so like, we find that it's truly about the flexibility and the pivot. So if you are older and you're going to a younger agent, there is a huge opportunity there for an amazing connection and and an amazing way to use the what you've used in your own, you know, experience versus what they know about the industry. Jessica, like, have mm-hmm. have you found this? Have you found this an amazing um, relationship with an older writer? Mm. Well, clients? I'm thinking of, I actually don't ask my clients how old they are. And I usually right. talk to them over the phone. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a rude question. Like, are you married? It's like, no. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, people ask me those questions at conferences all the time and I don't like it. So I don't do that for other yeah, people. Because I guess you're right. It, does, it doesn't really matter. It shouldn't even be part it of really, the equation. It really, really does not matter. Um, none of us know how much time we have on this planet. Right. Um, it's yeah. yeah, but it's not. Um, it's not about that. It's about how is your writing? Can we have a good conversation? Will you listen to my suggestions? Do you have a growth mindset? And we'll go from there. And if you're worried that it doesn't sound like um, the characters that you're writing about, go find a reader who is that age. Give them a highlighter. Have them highlight the things that don't sound right to them. But yeah, I mean, we spoke with just last week. Uh, I think I spoke with three writers over 80 and all of them seem like they're doing fine. Um, you know, it's not any kind of red flag at all to me. Again, it's not Olympic gymnastics. We just care about the writing and we care that you'll communicate with us. That's pretty yeah. much it. I want to go back here to something in your query because I think that before we, we focused on this other issue, but I think you have an issue here that I would like Jessica to weigh in on. Um so we have, given your interest in fantasy crossing the bridge between YA and adult readers, I'm hoping my current book will resonate for you. 
Jessica, do you think that Vanessa needs to choose between having it YA science fiction or adults? I think the, because the, bri- the, 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 the bridge is confusing a little bit. I mm. would prefer that it says crossover YA for the people who are looking for YA and adult for people who are looking for adult. So you can see what each agent wants and then call it that. Targeted marketing. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a merge tag. To me, that is just a little tiny signal that Mm -hmm. there could be more research here because it's not fitting into the expected. You know, any little thing that takes us out of the story you want to get rid of so that we're just in that nice, we're in the story, we're not putting on our agent hat. You want us in Mm -hmm. reader mode as we go. You know, that is not going to make the difference right there. It's just another little tiny thing that we might notice or not notice, but we're not going to say that one is wrong or not. Like so much of this is just preference. And I think... Um, You know, I have absolutely taken on authors who had typos or misused punctuation or something like that, because to me, it's not um, it's not these little details. It's overall, is there something about this that makes me feel how I want to feel as a writer? I think, you know, yes, the analytical stuff is happening, too. We're doing probably a ton of subconscious calculations. But um, for me, it really is about the energy. Thank you so much. I really like I really appreciate you asking this question because this is something that so many people worry about and you don't need to. You don't need to. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) And best of luck and keep us posted on your success and everything else. I'm Alex from Michigan and I am currently querying uh, a rom-com. And we saw from your form that you can't cook, but you can make a mean margarita. We appreciate yes. that. <laughs> Which is perfect for a rom-com writer. Yeah. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about your journey. How are things going? Um, so I am, um, like I said, I'm querying the, the rom-com. I started querying officially at the start of January because I thought Yay. that I I could get, you know, ahead of the line as people <laughs> were coming back from the holidays. And as I said in my note, my premise can is a little bit different than most premises because my main character is the spirit for most of the book, like 85% of the book. And so more so I'm thinking like if because I'm getting a lot of passes on the query materials themselves right now, um, my question is, you know, at what point do I do I take a step back and think, I mean, I'm not going to change the premise of the story, but at what point am I like, is it the premise or is it something else? So I'd love just any insight on how, to, well, one, when do I like take, take a step back and know like it's time to pivot? And then how do I figure out what exactly I pivot toward? Okay, yeah. so first of all, Hardly any time has gone by. So, okay. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, yeah, right. it, yes. it's I'm been aware. a month. <laughs> you will get a lot more data as time goes by. So I would say don't feel like you have even a small indication until you're like week 12. And it could take even longer than For that. For sure. And your response rate doesn't sound bad to me. <laughs> You've had, so, so say the numbers again, 12 rejections, three requests. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. Pretty good. Okay. You, I mean, that, if you keep getting requests, then, then there's a lot of hope still out there. Have you had, you know, full reads? Is your pacing good? You know, do you know, is your end satisfying? Do you have that data from, you know, your community? 10, ten readers. Okay, good. Yeah. So I do, I, I did a lot of the groundwork. I think it was just right. Like I'm, I'm the person who's like, you know, at the end of the road, you put all this work and 
I take a step back sometimes like, okay, we're so used to like instant gratification. And then um, like to your point, like having the community there to remind you that we're all in it together and to silence the voices that are sometimes really negative as part of this process. It's humbling, isn't it? It's like, it's like a man. Where's my bucket of ice cream and margarita? Right. The margaritas. I mean, that's, I mean, like, what can you do for like measuring the small successes? Mm -hmm. What can you do for yourself when you're going through this process to measure the small successes, whether it's an ice cream cone, whether it's a walk, whether it's a shirt, whether it's just a, I've been brave enough to take a walk, you know, a step forward, another step, another step. I mean, that takes, you know, gumption and grit and perseverance. I mean, that's the hard part. Yes. Yes. Okay. Unless you're getting a clear pattern of people saying, I like it, except for this one thing. Mm-hmm. That's when I think you start to think about pivoting. Mm-hmm. But I don't think of it as a pattern until you have three people saying the same thing. Um, I think probably if you are going to run into an issue it's that it is harder to fit this neatly into a box, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it can't happen. It just means it usually takes longer if it doesn't right. fit neatly into a box. So you're calling this just rom-com, right? Um, yes. So I'm selling it as an adult a romantic comedy with a paranormal twist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do have my comps in there. So I'm comping it to the hating game meets the dead romantic fun and i mean i could comp it to a lot of enemies to lovers mm-hmm. so yeah. um you know i'm like okay you know i was like let me do something different and that was what i landed on i kind of like you <laughs> might want to try the hating game with a ghost also um depending on who you're who you're pitching um yes. because i think that would work for a lot of people it keeps it very modern very fresh gives us a really clear idea of what's happening yeah, um, it, it's really hooky. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, booked to film sounding because it's like, mm-hmm. well, have we done this? No, we haven't done this. Yeah. Um. So I do think that, yes, you should absolutely pitch your rom-com agents. I do think you could also look at people who do women's fiction with a supernatural element or people who do book club fiction with a supernatural element or works that have ghosts that happen to have a strong romantic element. You know, these are all things that you can pull in and you can change slightly how you describe it for each of those people. Because since you don't necessarily fit exactly into a box, find all the people who are nearby um, who could be interested too. Mm. Yeah, perfect. I got it. I got it. You did. You got this. (laughs) And best of luck to you. Yeah. For your time and everything that you guys give back to all of us. I appreciate it a million percent. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. So that was amazing. I am so excited that everyone picked up. They were so smart. They were so interesting. They were so fun. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really impressed with everyone we talked with. I know. We actually, like taking the role of Mary, the Minister of Happiness at the Manuscript Academy and actually getting to do it. Oh, our writers are, they're geniuses. I think think they're geniuses. And I think that they just, epitomize that this is a journey, that it's open for everyone, that it's a process and that it's a spirit and the energy that you put into it that, you know, moves the needle in, you know, in this business. Well, we told everyone to keep in touch. So we will let all of you know when they have a success um, with their permission, of course, you know. Um, and yeah, I'm really optimistic for everyone we talked with. And if we didn't get a chance to call you, we'll likely be doing this again. Take care, everyone. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. 
and not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.